All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It is Manero Mateo. It is the Sunday stream, and I have a lot more energy than I usually do on my Sunday streams. We did not do one last week. I know, I know. I've been slacking off a little bit, but otherwise I'm putting out content like every other day. You guys get it. You've seen it. And I think that we're doing a pretty good job awakening people to what is coming, what is here, and how it is that we can go there rather than over there with Satan, right? So we want to get people into the camp of freedom. We want to get people into the camp of liberty in Christ, right? And that's what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about Christ. It is a Sunday stream. And for all of you new to the channel, that's typically what we do on Sunday. And today I'm going to connect it into a little bit of what we're seeing with privacy, what we're seeing with this new concept, which is coming about maybe because of some things that we're talking about here on the channel, which is that you need privacy if you want to have freedom, at least in the material world. We're going to make a little bit of a different case in regards to spirituality. We're going to make the case that if you want to be spiritually free, you actually need to give up all of your worldly privacy before God, before God. Notice I didn't say before other people. I said before God. And so that's going to be something interesting to look into. But we're talking about freedom today. We're talking about privacy. And this definitely plays into what we talk about here on the channel with Monero and methods that we could use to reclaim our privacy so that we could be safe from people who want to do us harm. You know, because that's one of the reasons why people like Google and corporations like Apple and things like this, they want more of your data. They want more of your information so that they can control you more, right? So that they can figure out ways to compromise you. And that's the way of Satan, right? Using knowledge about you, using your information against you to accuse you, to guilt trip you, to gossip to other people about you so that they can get perspectives on you, which are maybe false, maybe untrue. And in many ways, we do this voluntarily, right? We're on social media. We're telling everybody what we think about this and that. And especially being the young people that we are, we think we know more than we do. And then, you know, a couple of years later, when we change our minds about things, maybe we become enlightened to a different uh, way of thinking. Maybe we become uh, spiritually uh, oriented towards another faith, which has happened to me quite often throughout my life. Uh, first, I was a Roman Catholic, born Irish, Roman Catholic, that's right. And then uh, I kind of lost my faith. I was an atheist for a while, and then I started to dibble-dabble with Buddhism and Taoism and got into the psychedelics a little bit, whatever faith that is, Alice in Wonderland world, right? Um, you could argue it's satanic. There are some arguments for that because uh, you, you start to worship creation, a little bit when you really get into the psychedelics because you're looking at so many cool things and you're kind of going, Terrence McKenna, you know, culture is not your friend. Uh, you know, the roving machine elves are going to save you, right? I mean, there's a lot of that stuff. And so, yeah, I wandered through the desert for a long time, finally found Jesus Christ at the bottom of the rabbit hole, and here I am, now an Orthodox Christian. Or at least, we're moving that way. Uh, I've been in catechumen for about a year, and hopefully I get baptized soon, which, by the way, we are, we're going to have to take a few days off so that I can get back on my catechism, which I've given up, my catechumen, which I've given up a little bit doing a lot of the work that we've done here on the channel, right? So, um, anyways, 
people change their minds over time. And what people can do is they can look back at your Twitter feed, your social media feed. We're always posting your thoughts. You're always posting things that you're feeling, right? And then they could use that against you, right? And so um, when you have all of your history out there because you voluntarily give it up, that can be used against you. Anything you say and do can and will be used against you, right? So consider that. So consider that. And this is all happening pretty uh, synchronistically, if you want to put it that way, because last night I was up to like 3 a.m. watching uh, Stanley Kubrick movies. And Stanley Kubrick, I don't know if you guys have seen his films. You probably have. Maybe you forgot who he was. But he was the guy behind The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut. And if you haven't seen The Shining... Are you even American? Do you even live here? Where have you been? Uh, But the Eyes Wide Shut movie is a little bit more esoteric and a little bit more, uh, well, hidden behind the scenes, right? Not many people have seen this movie. Maybe you've heard about it a little bit because of the notorious satanic ritual scene. Other than that scene, the movie is actually quite boring. (laughs) It moves at a slow snail's pace. Uh, You don't really know what's going on. Like, there's a spousal disagreement and um you know there are issues with uh you know tom cruise's character realizing that his wife is kind of not the most faithful uh that you could ask for in a wife and you know he starts to get curious about things and then his curiosity leads him ultimately going to like this weird satanic ritual and if you haven't seen the movie it's almost like Stanley Kubrick was trying to figure out a way to tell the world about what the elites were doing, what was going on behind the scenes, uh, you know, without going out and just saying, hey, everyone's run by Satanists. You have to get out of here. You got to go to church, right? And I don't know if he was ever oriented that way. He was definitely an insider. Uh, there's a lot of conspiracies surrounding Stanley Kubrick. Some people think like he was the director behind the moon landings. He was the one to film that stuff. Uh, People say there's evidence of that in The Shining. Uh, And then Stanley Kubrick dying shortly after the production of Eyes Wide Shut. You know, he died. He died. And so people are like, oh, well, he revealed too much. They got him, right? So uh, the whole movie is pretty boring. Other than that satanic part, it's just like, whoa, (laughs) what did Tom Cruise just end up in here? But the thing about these movies that Stanley Kubrick comes out with, first off, it kind of plays into privacy because in these satanic rituals, you've got masks and you've got people wanting to cover up their appearance. And some of that is ritualistic because it's about giving up your sovereignty under God as an individual and then becoming one amongst others in a kind of legion of the devil, right? That's sort of what it's like. You're giving up your own individual autonomy, your God-given human nature, so that you could become conformed within, uh, you know, a group of people who are worshiping something that is of creation, which is Satan, which is of the devil, uh, right? And so that's, that's sort of a crass understanding that I have of it. Again, that plays into world events today because people are wearing masks everywhere. Some people speculate it's like a giant global initiation ritual that's happening. And, you know, throughout history, when people wear masks over their mouth, that's a sign of submission. That's a sign that you have lost control to speak as you should, uh, individually, as you could, right? And so, um, not to get too much down that path, I was watching those movies last night, 
and uh, digging into that. And some of that made me think about privacy. Some of that made me think about mm-hmm. some things that we're going to go through today. It's also why I'm drinking Mojo. Okay, so. All that stuff aside, all that stuff aside, let's go ahead and talk about A, how privacy relates to physical freedom, and then B, how privacy relates to spiritual freedom. Because I think uh, those are two distinct things, and privacy plays different roles in each, in my opinion. And so hopefully you guys get some insight from that. So let's start reading here. This is from an essay by somebody by the name of Alan Weston. And importantly, this is a very well-known article. This is a very uh, widely cited article going back to 1968 on the concepts of privacy and freedom. And he was seeing all of the technological advances happening from World War II and onwards and these technologies being used to uh, spy on people. And this was going on back then. You could just imagine the sophisticated technologies they have now to do that. Uh, but he says here, this is the main point, this book is organized into four parts. The function of privacy in society, a description of the advances in surveillance technology, the response of American society to the introduction of these, these new techniques, and an evaluation of the past and future role of American law in this area. Right, because we have the Fourth Amendment, which is uh, to protect you against all searches and seizures. Uh, I believe I had a... Yeah, so here we go. If you don't know what the Fourth Amendment is, because you're an average American, the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution guarantees the right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures and is often argued as protecting our right to privacy. Right, so... um, You would think Monero, in that case, would just be... You know, the American World Reserve currency, but we can only dream, right? So, uh, yeah, look at this simp right here. Look at Prince, what's his face? Prince Harry. Simping out, bro. Simping out, bro. We got to do a whole video on that guy. That guy is just a mess. But um, So let's look at this. In the first of these parts, the author establishes the social value of privacy, an approach notably absent from other works on surveillance. Privacy contends provides individuals and groups in society with a preservation of autonomy, a release from role-playing, a time for self-evaluation, and for protected communication. Right. So, preservation of autonomy. I think that's an interesting point, right? Because we as individuals, um, we are very much role-players. We fill certain functions and roles based on the environment that we're in. And that's part of our human nature, You know, when you get into a social situation, and you'll notice this if you're aware, there's always an establishment of a hierarchy. There's always the dom, there's always the sub. It's just how it works. And when you're put into a situation, a social situation, uh, beyond that, you know, you've got father-son relationships, you've got employer-employee relationships, you've got acquaintance relationships, and then you've got different layers of intimacy which is involved you know you've got your spouse which you're uh the most intimate with which means that you're the least private with and then it goes from there up into strangers that you're not really intimate with and so typically you're not going to share any information with them and so uh all these things establish because we are naturally social creatures uh there's no getting away from that and privacy 
when you have privacy, it allows you to be outside of these shape-shifting dynamics, right? You can be by yourself, you can think independently, and you can gather your own conclusions about what's going on in books that you read, in articles that you read online, in videos that you watch. And I think this is important for democratic societies. If you really like uh, democratic societies, me, myself, I'm more of a you know, ANCAP kind of guy. I'd prefer that we all be free and we don't have any government that's coercing us to do anything, but we're quite a far away from there. You need people to have internal monarchy, which we'll talk about later in this video, in order to have external freedom. If people are enslaved to creation and to material things, well then, yeah, you're going to have governments come about uh, because people are going to use violence and the power of the state and whatever justification that they can to extract wealth from people and to control people, to influence them to do what it is they want in a kind of predator-prey relationship. And that's why the Satanists take over the governments and yada, 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 right? But autonomy is very important. Privacy is really important for an individual because that allows for some kind of resistance against groupthink, uh, herd mentality, and things like this. So there's that. His next point, a release from role-playing, as we talked about, a time for self-evaluation, right? And you can more readily evaluate yourself. Like, how many times have you done this, right? You're in a social situation, you're talking with people. And then you get away from the group, and then you say, oh, man, that would have been funny to say, or that would have been cool to say. I wonder what they thought about that, right? Like, you're able to think more and reflect more when you're by yourself uh, rather than being with a group. Because when you're with a group, you kind of take on this uh, hive mind kind of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, Same thing when you go to, like, music festivals or concerts. It's like you're integrating yourself into a higher organism, right? And you give up a certain level of autonomy and a certain level of sovereignty to be a part of this higher organism, which happens naturally, again. uh, That's what the military is all about. That's what... Uh, governments are all about, you know, you give up some of your liberties so that you can get roads and so that you can get other uh, things that they pretend to give you, <laughs> right? And for protected communication, right? Protected communication and protected communication is important. That includes Monero, that includes financial communication, which is trade, right? In my opinion. So let's move on here. Uh, this is a little bit bigger of an article, but we're just going to skim through it. Why we care about privacy, Privacy is important for a number of reasons. Some have to do with the consequences of not having privacy. People can be harmed or debilitated if there is no restriction on the public's access to use personal information. So here's one thing. Privacy wouldn't be as important in our society if we had virtue, if we had people who believed in God and people who uh, could be trusted to act morally. But when you live in an atheistic society where people aren't bound by any kind of higher internal moral ethic because they don't recognize the conscience, they don't recognize the soul, they don't recognize uh, consequences beyond death for what it is that they do in this life, right? When you live in a secular society, trust breaks down. Trust naturally breaks down. And when you go to an Orthodox church, you know, you don't need to lock your car. <laughs> you, know, you don't need to worry about people doing nefarious things to you. Most of the time, most of the time. I mean, there are some bad elements which slip in there because they want to take advantage of people who have that trust built amongst themselves, right? But for the most part, you can trust Christians more than you can trust other people. And I found that out 
quite recently, I've found that out um, in my life, generally. And maybe you think differently, maybe you're of a different stint, but it's important to have universal ethics. I think that's very important. That builds a sense of trust. And so when you don't have that, yes, privacy is going to be more important in a secular society because you don't know if people are going to use your information to take advantage of you and go neo-Darwinian on you and you know use that to somehow uh, pillage you and bully you, right? So other reasons are more fundamental. Touching the essence of human personhood. Reference, uh, reverence for the human person as an end in and of itself and as autonomous being, as an autonomous being requires respect for personal privacy. I don't think you should have reverence for the human person necessarily. Uh, that sounds kind of like idolatry to me, but again, we're just kind of reading through this stuff. This is probably going to be secular applied ethics from Santa Clara, somewhere in California. So <laughs> just retain uh, judgment, retain that. Uh, to lose control of one's personal information is in some measure to lose control of one's life and one's dignity. Therefore, even if privacy is not in and of itself a fundamental right. It is necessary, necessary to protect other fundamental rights. And I think that's reasonable, uh, especially when you live in this society where when people say certain things, uh, it's been increasingly documented that they lose capacity to bank, they lose capacity to use PayPal because now PayPal is working with the ADL. You lose capacity to uh, speak your mind on social media sites, which may identify what you say and what you think as being quote-unquote hateful, right? And so that is something to consider. And what follows, we will consider the most important arguments in favor of privacy. Uh, first argument is protection of the misuse of personal information, right? And so this kind of plays into what we were talking about. There are many ways a person can be harmed by the revelation of sensitive personal information. Uh, psychological tests, court records, financial records, uh, Banks can look into that stuff. The IRS, right? And so the less the IRS knows about you, the better. <laughs> okay, I think we can all agree to that, which is why probably a lot of people are like, yeah, uh, over $600 in my bank account, they're going to be looking into me. Is there anything called a privacy coin out there that I could get into? Uh, oh, what's that, a freedom coin? That sounds even better. What's that, right? So <laughs> me just kind of plugging my uh, ideology here, but... Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people are going to go to uh, more privacy-enhanced financial resources like Monero because of what the IRS is doing. And that plays into the fact that the IRS has been proven to be quite uh, malicious and antagonistic towards conservative groups like the Tea Party, right? And so that's kind of the demographic I would like to reach out to. I know that there are other people in the Monero community who want to reach out to other demographics, but nobody's really reaching out to the Christians. Nobody's really reaching out to the conservatives, in my opinion, in our community. And so we want to bring them in. Uh, they probably need protection more than anybody else when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So um, that's to be considered. And again, this stuff is for everybody. The great thing about privacy, as we talked about before, is that you don't have to play into certain hierarchies. And this is what happens with Bitcoin, right? Think about this. With Bitcoin, if Satoshi were to start selling his Bitcoins, well, first off, that would just tank the market. <laughs> it would give it a Mike Tyson black eye. But like, I think that hierarchy plays a certain role in Bitcoin, and it messes with the fungibility. Because you can see where certain Bitcoins come from, a Bitcoin that comes from Satoshi, for example... It's probably going to be more than a Bitcoin that comes from somebody like you and me, or even worse, somebody who's 
you know, some uh, plebe who's trading on the dark net, some unwashed plebe, right? Uh, and so that has implications for personal privacy. And, you know, you get a Bitcoin from Michael Saylor. People are like, oh, I want to hold on to this and show my friends this Bitcoin. They're going to hold on to it maybe as an NFT or something. So just think about that, right? Monero doesn't have that problem. There are no hierarchies in Monero. It's completely uh, crypto anarchic, I guess you could say. Every Monero is the same as any other Monero because you don't know where it comes from. So that's something to consider. So Monero is for everybody. But yeah, we need to reach out to certain demographics, I think, that particularly need this stuff. Uh, good information is needed for good decisions. Uh, it might seem like the more information, the better. And generally, that's the case, right? Um, there's some woman who was on Twitter today, and she had asked, well, what about people who are never um, shown the Gospels, who are never uh, you know, approached by Christians? What happens to their souls? Do they not go to heaven because they never heard about the life of Christ or anything like this? And what we believe is that, no, that's not necessarily the case. You can't be morally judged for that which you don't know, right? If you were raised a criminal, if you're raised by wolves or whatever, right? Like Romulus, who's the founder of Rome, who's like a warrior savage, you know, you're not going to, um, you know, have the knowledge and the ethical awareness to do good, right? You can do good only when you know what is good, right? And what is evil. And so that is my opinion either way. But then again, Paul does say that, um, he, just, he says in Romans that you can only, you can observe nature and find that, yes, this is of God, this is of a God, the created energies, the creation around me, of course there's a God. Look at all the patterns, look at the majesty of it all. And yes, you could say that in that case there's God, and they, then there's no excuse, as Paul says. But um, in moral philosophy, it's kind of a given that you can only go by what you know, and you can't be morally culpable for what you don't know. So I hope that makes sense. The more information you know, the better decisions presumably you're going to make. But then again, that's not entirely the case. So just some things to chew on, some things to think about. But sometimes that information is misused or even used for malicious purposes. So again, we're starting to see why privacy is important in a world that is secular and a world that has fallen right? Because you can't really trust other people with your information. They could use it maliciously against you. Um, so, for example, there's a great deal of misunderstanding for mental illness, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So you can read all that stuff. Similarly, somebody, you know, this is funny. I read this and I'm like, duh. A number of studies have shown that employers are far less likely to hire somebody with an arrest record. Oh, really? <laughs> I wonder why. Even when the charges have been dropped or the person has been acquitted. Yeah, well, that's kind of unfortunate, right? But why is that person getting into situations where they could be falsely accused of that stuff, right? So that's something that employers probably think about too. Um, even if it's unfair, unfortunately, just ish happens. In addition, because subjects can be damaged so seriously by the re release of sensitive personal information, they are also vulnerable to blackmail and extortion. Yeah, well, that's not good. That's not good. But people are vulnerable to that stuff largely because of pride, you know, largely because of pride. Embarrassment of the past things that you did and the unwillingness to disclose certain things about yourself, which may be 
uh, not well received by other people, that comes from a place of pride. It comes from a place of, oh, well, I'm better than I was, which may be true. And, oh, well, um, I, I don't want these people to think certain things of me, so I'm going to control what they know, right? And that's where the tyranny comes from. Uh, it comes from a place of insecurity about yourself to try to control other people because um, you don't want them to have some influence over you for something that they learn about, right? And that's what people who kind of have something bad on their conscience uh, do, in my opinion. That's a common theme that we see in the rise of tyranny. Um, but this is interesting. This is interesting. Not saying that blackmailers or extortionists don't have any power over you. Of course, the IRS, like we just talked about, they extort people. Taxation is theft. And the IRS uses your records against you to pillage you, right? So I, I get this, right? You know, they have weapons and stuff. Uh, privacy protection is necessary to safeguard against abuses. And one more note. If everybody knows how much Bitcoin you have, because the Bitcoin information is public information, Pretty much. I mean, we saw this with somebody that we looked into in one of our earlier videos where he had taken in like $50 million of Bitcoin donations. He had started to receive donations at a particular address like, you know, eight years ago, back when Bitcoin was only a few bucks. But if you rack up all the donations that he's received in that wallet, which you can easily look up, he's received over $50 million of donations. Okay, so if somebody sees that, okay, so somebody's going to be much more likely to go out and extort that person for wealth. And some people may say, oh, well, they can't get into the cryptography. They can't get into the wallet. Oh, boating accident, whatever. Well, what if they don't believe you and they just continue to go and go and go until they get something out of you, right? I mean, look at Saudi Arabia. That's what they did to billionaires. Billionaires. Think about it. You can even escape as a billionaire from that stuff. So private wealth, very important in this world, in my opinion. So also another plus for Monero, privacy and relationship. Privacy is also needed in the ordinary conduct, conduct of human affairs. Excuse me. Goodness. Human affairs to facilitate social interchange. Yeah, it's a prerequisite for forming relationships. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, these privileged relationships, whether personal or functional, require a special level of openness and trust that is only possible if there is an assurance that what is revealed will be kept private. Yep. Husbands and wives behave differently in the presence of a third party than when they're alone, as he says here. This is true. And this is something that we talked about with Draith from Pirate Chain. Uh, he was mentioning how, yes, even if you have nothing to hide, you are going to act differently if other people can see what it is you're doing than you would otherwise. And again, that goes back to our social nature. That goes back to our role-playing nature. Um, I think that's right. I think that's accurate. So again, privacy is important in that respect for freedom. Uh, privacy, he writes, is necessarily related to ends and relations of the most fundamental sort, respect, love, friendship, and trust. Without privacy, they are simply inconceivable. That's debatable. That is debatable. Um, love, friendship, trust, respect. As a Christian, we believe we can get this all from God, and there is no privacy from God. So that is something to note. And with the best friends that you have, you should be able to share just about anything with them. I mean, with the friends that I have, uh, with some of them, I share quite a lot. 
I share quite a lot. They share quite a lot. We have a very deep and good positive relationship. Um, and one of you I'm calling tonight, you know exactly who you are. So I hope that uh, we can talk soon, my friend. But autonomy, uh, Rachel's and Freed's, just a deeper and more fundamental issue, personal freedom. So here we go. To recognize an individual as an autonomous being, an end in himself entails letting that individual live his life as he chooses. Of course, there are limits to this, but one of the critical ways that an individual controls his life is by choosing with whom he will have relationships and what kind of relationships these will be. So freedom of association, right? Information mediates relationships. Thus, when one cannot control who has information about one, one loses considerable autonomy. Right, and you have more leverage over people if you know more about them than they know about you. I think that is something we can all intuitively understand. Uh, you've been in those situations before, which is why when you go for a job interview, you want to know as much about the company as you can. Uh, if you're interviewing somebody for a job, you want to know as much as you can about them. Uh, it helps you get more uh, leverage over the relationship because maybe you find out something about the company, which is rather unflattering, which is like, Hey, I found that in your financial records. I don't know how you would get that. If you're going in for an interview, maybe it's a public company, whatever, but like, Hey, I found something that was kind of problematic in your financial records. I'm not sure about the long-term viability of your company. Okay. Well then that makes it look like you're going to seek out better options right? And then maybe they up the ante to try to get you pulled in. So just things to consider, right? Information is important. To lose control of personal information is to lose control of who we were and who we can be in relation to the rest of society. Uh, yes, yes. Each a normal person's social life is rich and varied, encompassing many different roles and relationships. Each requires a different persona, a different face. This does not necessarily entail deception only that different aspects of the person are revealed in different roles. I think this is accurate, right? Like, you don't want to treat your priest the same way that you treat your son, right? You don't want to confess to your son all of your sins and all the things that you've done wrong. And that's not to say don't be vulnerable to a certain extent and teach your son your mistakes that you've made in your life so that you could pass that wisdom on to them. But that's not the same thing as going to a priest and repenting and uh, trying to figure out ways that you could become better. Like, you're not going to want to appeal, appear weak to your son or to your family or to maybe other people in your life, right? Especially if you're in a leadership role. But you can do that with somebody like a priest who's acting on the behalf of God, right? So there are different roles that are played and that doesn't necessarily mean deception. It's just you're taking on particular roles and you're taking on the behaviors which are most associated with those roles so that you could fill those roles optimally. So I hope that makes sense. There's a good nuance there to sort of parse out. Control over personal information, how and whom it is revealed to, therefore plays an important part in one's ability to choose and realize one's place in society. All right, so I think these are good points. I think these are good texts. Uh, yeah, so professional relationships, that takes into effect too. Uh, human dignity, you could read into that. Privacy and power. Privacy is an even more necessary safeguard of freedom in the relationships between individuals and groups. Uh, Alan Weston, who we just read from actually, has pointed out that surveillance and publicity are powerful instruments of social control. And 
you know, a lot of people, they look at celebrities and they, you know, can get jealous. Maybe they aspire to be a celebrity themselves for whatever reason. They're influenced by celebrities, which by like nowadays, I don't know what celebrities are actually influential, at least to somebody like me. I mean, I look at Lil Nas X or, uh, you know, Billy Eilish. I mean, dude, these people drink goat blood for a living. Like that's, that's what they do. They're total Satanists, right? Um, they are more enslaved than anybody of any of us. Like the people that I yearn to be like nowadays are people who live in the country, are raising cows and chickens. They have a nice family. Uh, maybe the wife's in the barn churning butter. I mean, that's that sounds good to me. That's what I am uh, not to say envious of, but aspiring to become like. You know, I'd like to be off the grid. I'd like to live a real life in connection with nature without people bothering me all the time. You know, I am actually somewhat myself kind of a private person. I wouldn't want to be in the public eye where I have so much social pressure to go along with everything that people want me to go along with, especially in this environment. So, yes, social groups definitely have a influential role, an influential role on how you behave and how you act, how you think, and the more information they have about you, the more you could feel actually kind of trapped and the more that you have to play into that because you want to go along with social expectations to not go along with those social expectations that they have of you maybe because of how you acted in the past. That could lead to uh, a kind of mental enslavement, a kind of spiritual enslavement, especially if you don't have a relationship with God. So that I think is a key point. If individuals know that their actions and dispositions are constantly being observed, commented on, and criticized, they find it much harder to do anything that deviates from accepted social behavior. As we just talked about, I think that's a really key point. There does not even have to be an explicit threat of retaliation. Right, because a lot of the stuff is evolutionarily inbuilt within us. We're social uh, creatures. Uh, Visibility itself provides a powerful method of enforcing norms. And we saw this with uh, the masks in 2020. Um, when people started to wear the masks, other people started to wear the mask, not because they're worried about the bug, but they're more worried about the social ostracism or the social antagonism that they would get for not wearing the mask, right? So it became not a matter of public health, but it became a matter of public assimilation and integration. So... You could tell that this was the case because people didn't care what kind of mask that you had, right? I mean, you could have had, you know, one of these cruddy uh, blue doctor's masks. You could have had it like hanging under your chin, not even over your mouth. And in most cases, people didn't care. <laughs> like the fact that you had it on, okay, whatever, cool. He's he's going along with the program. But nobody was enforcing N95 masks. I mean, I know after... A while they said, you got to wear three masks. But at that point, it was already too late. People are like, okay, this is stupid, right? Or at least most people, in my opinion. And then most people, like, did you guys see anyone who wore more than two masks at once? I never for a single second saw that. Everyone just wore this simple, basic mask. Because, again, it wasn't about being safe. It was about just going along with the social programming uh, and not having resistance or friction wherever you went into a grocery store or somewhere else. So that is, you know, again, a powerful method of enforcing social norms. And the fact that the mask was visible, it enforced an environment of fear 
it enforced an environment of social dislocation, you know, where you can't see people's faces, where you can't connect with people. And in Australia, they're telling people that you can't go talk to your neighbors. Do not talk with people if you're outside. That's what they're telling people. I mean, could you believe this is happening? I can't. Uh, and it's getting worse over there. God be with our friends in Australia. Really praying for you guys. I know that you guys are really going through some tribulations over there. Uh, we're praying for you. We hope that the tyrants fall soon. Uh, so continuing on with the article, most people are afraid to stand apart to be different if it means being subject to piercing scrutiny. I think that's accurate. And I'm not saying that I wasn't subject to this too. Uh, if it was you know, a long day for me and I'm about to go into Walmart, pick up some uh, you know, little Debbie's or something like I'm going to throw the mask on. That's what I did a couple of times. Admittedly, admittedly, even though it goes against everything I believe, it's just like, I don't want to have to deal with these people. I'm just going to get in, get out, throw on the mask. It's going to make it easier. And so, uh, just that is something considering to do. Uh, yeah, you could read the rest of that. George Orwell's 1984, big brother. Yep. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah, it goes in pretty deep here with all that stuff. Yeah, okay, cool. So, public confession. Now we're going to get to the spiritual element of this, which I think is interesting. Um, because it's different in the spiritual element. In the element that we just talked about in regards to your physical safety and your physical thriving, you want to have physical privacy. That makes sense. That's reasonable. Privacy is important in this world of sin, in this fallen world of evil, for personal individual freedom. Because people will use information against you in order to enslave you, and in order to uh, get up on you, right? So uh, it's different in the spiritual sense that we're about to get to, which is what the Sunday stream is all about. We're at minute 38. Cool. Elders training book, other crucial matters concerning the practice of the Lord's recovery. And so confessions now are very much private. When you go to your priest, it's just you and the priest doing confessions. And uh, really, he's just there to kind of facilitate uh, your confession to God and to give some guidance as to how you can repent for your sins that you have confessed to the priest uh, and to God so that you can more readily heal from that damage that you've done to yourself. So, but that being said, in some cases, they have tried public confessions, and this has led to uh, problems in the physical material world. So let's just read this real quick. I, I found it interesting. 50 years ago in China, some Pentecostal movements required and instigated the public confession of sins. Some of these public confessions issued in suicide, fighting and turmoil in society, which nearly caused the government to stop such a thing. This shows us that we should not dig out all these sinful things. We should do our best to help individuals make clear confession before the Lord. Even the so-called confession to the priests in the Catholic Church has caused much trouble. The man who is considered the father of the Republic of the Philippines confessed to a Catholic priest that he did something to revolt against the Spanish government. This priest then passed on this information to the government, and the government arrested him and put him to death. Goodness gracious. So yeah, this has actually been documented here in America where the mobs would work with priests in order to get inside intel 
on some people that were doing confessions with them and to then have leverage over them and then to extort them. And so, yeah, even with priests, the people that you would think you could trust the most, they could use information against you to threaten your personal safety. So that is pretty interesting. And when you do it publicly to whoever, that could even open that could open you up to even more attack vectors. Uh, these examples, again, show us that we must handle these matters carefully. Even if a person volunteers to make public confession, we'd better advise them not to do it. This does not edify anyone. These are dirty things to dirty our ears and dirty the minds of young people. Once you hear things like this, it will be hard for you to forget them for the rest of your life. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. That's an interesting concern. Um, considering other churches, blah, blah, blah. So that's the main thing I want to note. I thought that was interesting. That even uh, priests, right, could use what you say and do against you in a court of mafia law. So... This is Privacy in God, written by BeliefNet. And by the way, the last article, just to make sure I properly, this is Living Stream Ministry, and then the one before that was uh, uh, Markula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. I just want to make sure I properly cite this stuff. Um, cool. So the Bible doesn't speak directly about privacy, this has to do in part with the fact that privacy wasn't a major issue in cultures in which the Bible was written. Uh, I don't want a TV, thanks. Um, in those settings, privacy as we envision it was a rarity. People lived in close proximity to others. It was not uncommon for families to share a common space for sleeping, bathing, and other sorts of intimate behavior. And that's something interesting to note just historically was that Back in the day, in the medieval times, the stinky, dirty times where people took showers like once a month, um, people slept in the same bed, like three to a bed. And it was only like the kings and queens who had their own private bed, which is considered like just super high-level luxury. And so that's just something interesting to note. You didn't have too much privacy back in the day because we were very communally oriented, as he's about to get to here. Moreover, most people lived in relatively small communities where little could be kept secret. Even the cities of the Roman Empire afforded relatively little that we would call privacy unless one happened to be wealthy. So the Bible tends to assume that life is shared and that one's actions cannot be kept secret. One who wanted privacy generally needed to escape to the countryside. Mark 135 to 39. Interesting, interesting. Now, this is an interesting note. This does not mean, however, that all personal activity was meant for public display. Members of the army were to relieve themselves outside of the camp so as to not be seen by the Lord. Now, I'm not sure what that means. Of course, God sees that. I'm curious as to the context of that. Um, seen by the Lord. I would have to dig into that a little bit because the Lord sees and knows everything. Uh, Saul went into a cave where he could take care of business in private. Ham, one of Noah's sons, is cursed because he saw his father naked and gossiped about it to his brothers. Right, so he disrespected his father, uh, honor thy father and thy mother, and then he gossiped, uh, which was to, um, you know, do the work of the devil, right? Uh, who covered their father up without looking at him. Uh, though scripture does not refer to deeds done in privacy, it does speak actions of 
what does that say? It does speak of actions done secretly, right, when nobody's looking. In some cases, the assumption is that such behavior is wrong. Uh, and that's that's interesting. Let, let's keep reading. Consider Ephesians 5, 11 to 13, for example. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Privacy allows people to do things that displease the Lord. And that's something interesting to note about freedom and privacy in general. It's not so uh, cut and clear as to how privacy could influence freedom just on that level of analysis. Because you have, as we were talking about before with Eyes Wide Shut, you've got a lot of people in the elite classes who conspire with each other, of course, in private, at places like Bilderberg, at maybe some of these rituals that... uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick was documenting, or so it's theorized, and they are doing things in private that are ultimately going to make you less free because they're conspiring as to how to control you and to take your privacy away and to take your freedom away. And so privacy for some could be the loss of privacy for others based on the virtue of the people meeting in private and the actions that they are looking to take part in and conspire to do. So that's something to note. That's something to note. And you could see this, of course, in the dark markets, right, where you have uh, people uh, you know, engaged in human smuggling and trafficking and things like this, and they are private, presumably because law enforcement is not going after them, uh, people who report on this stuff wind up, you know, like that Seth Rich guy, you know, you know, you got three in the back of the head because he was just having a bad day and just wanted to end it all, right? We believe it, but uh, that is something interesting to note. Privacy for some could mean less privacy for others based on the virtues of the actions being conspired and done in private. So that again, that's why we love Christ on this channel. That's why we talk about Christ. Like people think I'm just some well, I, I don't know this to be the case, but people could come to the conclusion that I'm just being some zealot who also loves Monero and I'm trying to just like shill my religion or something like this. It's just like no. I think it's very important that we have virtue as well as privacy because if you have privacy without virtue, that could actually lead uh, to some other significant problems, which maybe you don't think about. Uh, and so I think that's worthy to consider. I think that it's much better to have a society where you have privacy, yes, but when people are in private and they're not being judged by other people, they still see themselves as to be judged by God. And so they still retain some level of autonomy and self-responsibility, even though they won't have to punish or they won't have to be punished by certain outside parties for what it is they do. Does that make sense? So I think that is an important consideration. I think that's what you need to maintain a free society. You know, a free society comes from internal monarchy, self-responsibility, people doing their role and playing their part without having to coerce others and force others to help them up or to keep them in line or to force others to stay in line and to not do bad things, right? Because people have an internal moral code that they're bound by. So I think that's really important to add to this dynamic of trying to get more people more privacy, trying to get people more freedom as a result of having more privacy, especially in this environment where we're undergoing a total 
uh, technocratic totalitarian takeover. Privacy is going to be more important than ever, but if we don't couple that with Christ and virtue, um, I'm not sure how far we're going to get. So let me just make that point pretty clear. Uh, so here we go. Uh, let's see where we were in this. I kind of got lost. Yeah, so privacy allows people to do things that displease the Lord, right? But here is another uh, side of this, right? You want to keep some things private because it could make you prideful if you don't keep it private. So he's about to lay this out here. So whenever somebody, or excuse me, whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And it'd be interesting to see an experiment. I think I would know how this would play out, and so would you, I think, where somebody who is a street performer, maybe you have people walking by the street performer and there's nobody else around the street performer watching this guy. And then you have, in another situation, the street performer playing to a crowd of maybe 15, 20 people. Well, how much more is that street performer going to get from the people walking by uh, when there's nobody there watching versus when there are 15, 20 people there watching? I imagine with more people watching, the street performer is going to get more money because people like to have that social reward of giving when other people notice. So I think that uh, is an interesting thing to note. And in Scripture, according to Matt here, you are to give alms in private, and you are to do these good deeds in private and not tell anybody else because if you tell other people, well, that kind of diminishes the goodness of the work because that's not to say because that's to say that you did it for yourself in some cases for your own material good and you see a lot of corporations do this right like they actually allocate money to donate publicly to certain organizations some organizations that did not do a lot of public good as you may be able to reference from last year uh in some places like minneapolis right um, they delegate a lot of money to give to these groups publicly so that they could get actually more business in return. Like, it's a kind of marketing scheme. If they donate to this business or to this group or to this movement, well, that's going to encourage a certain demographic which supports those movements to say, hey, that corporation's actually pretty cool. Let's go shop with them. And so you want to do this stuff in private for your spiritual good so that you don't have pride about it and so that you cut off the possibility that you could get material reward back for it and you can keep and savor that spiritual reward uh, if you're doing it for a spiritual reward. You should just do it to be good, right? But uh, that's sort of the point here. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Right. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Right. So you can just uh, savor those spiritual rewards privately. And it's diminished when you do it publicly. Uh, whenever you fast, do not look dismal 
like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Matt 6, 16 to 18. So that's that's pretty interesting stuff. Oh, no. I keep clicking stuff. According to Jesus, certain actions ought to be done privately where they will be only seen by God. Those who seek to make public show of their religiosity are mistaken. Admittedly, the biblical texts I have referred to in this post are only tangentially related to the issues of privacy that we face today. At best, they help us get our bearings as we seek a theological understanding of privacy. So that's interesting. That's pretty interesting stuff. All right, next article... Yeah, we talked about that. We can close that. Open Bible Info. So this is an interesting quote here I want to read from Luke. This is from Luke 12. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So, again, this plays into the notion that if you try to seek privacy, be sure to be aware that you are never private before God. And if you want to take a secular approach to this, um, everything that you do affects your conscience. It affects your health. It affects, uh, you know, there's this idea that your heart emits a kind of electromagnetic field. I think there's actually some science behind it. I'd have to look into it again. But there's this idea that your heart emits an electromagnetic field and because of that, you can pick up on people's vibes and you and they can pick up on your vibe. Like when you get into somebody's uh, presence, I guess you could say. Like you know how some people say, oh, that guy's got a great presence or he's got a bad vibe. You know what I mean? Like that could perhaps come from uh, that electromagnetic uh, pulsation, which is coming out of their heart. And that, you're, that could be influenced perhaps by your emotional state, by... Uh, what your lifestyle is, and things like this. So I think that's interesting to consider. Um, ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? Well, the Lord does. He knows it all. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple blabber. Yes, turn off this channel. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, okay, so... This is from our patriarch, Kirill. He is the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. Great guy. I mean, you should go listen to him. He's really got some interesting things to say. Uh, There's some stuff to get into this. Yes, yeah, so this is interesting. This is interesting. This relates to privacy and freedom, faith and freedom. Faith not only unites a person with God, faith raises a person. Faith gives him some wings, i.e. freedom, that help him soar over commonplace, uh, the commonplace over human prejudices and preconceptions over certain kinds of thoughts and words over any fashion. I'm not talking about a fashion to dress a certain way, but a fashion for certain thoughts, for politics, and for certain patterns of behavior. Faith equips a person with such knowledge that he soars above the entire everyday life and becomes invulnerable. And this is a key point right here. Anything that enslaves a person, everything that brings him into captivity of other people's thoughts or actions cannot enslave a, sincere, a sincerely believing person. 
the patriarch stressed. So you can get freedom from the carnal pressures of this world, whether they be biological, whether they be social, uh, whether they be whatever, right? You can become free of that with faith in God and have your emotions be tied into your relationship with God rather than necessarily your relationship with the world. And whether things are going good for you in the world, you should be mournful of when you sin because you're disappointing God, who you should fear, who should be the only thing that you fear in this world, uh, rather than, oh, well, I didn't get my Little Debbie treat today or something like that, right? Why am I talking about Little Debbies? I don't even know why. Maybe I put too much milk in this coffee. Got to tell you what, though, those Chick-fil-A cookies are key. Those things are awesome. And you get to help the children at the same time. Uh, how to believe where the Spirit of the Lord is their freedom. Uh, does this guy speak English? Okay, so yeah, this is a great quote. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Yes! Absolutely. And... Uh, Let's see if we can get to the grit here. What comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? Likely some of the previous ideas, and he's talking about, uh, you know, not being enslaved, a certain sense of patriotism, overcoming addiction, things like this. While the word freedom by itself can take on many forms, when you connect it to God, it holds a much more specific meaning. God is God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hebrews 3.18, God is not simply what we want him to be, uh, he makes a connection that freedom is directly linked to God. In this way, freedom is defined by God, and more specifically, by the location of his spirit. So, let's read more to this. Paul makes repeat references to, quote-unquote, the spirit in this chapter of Corinthians. As with his other letters, Paul is admonishing the church, encouraging them to see ministry, and also themselves dis differently so we are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily until the end of glory of what was being set aside but their minds were hardened uh, let me get to the key point here I'm not sure what I'm reading here okay so here we go and nothing needs to be written for non-believers to recognize Christianity in others. The spirit of a believer will relieve their, reveal their faith. In that mode of belief is where the idea of freedom arises. By upholding faith in our own hearts, we bring the spirit of God within us. When we do that, we are living in a way that glorifies Christ. And instead of wearing a veil like the Israelites once did, we look into a mirror and see ourselves reflected in Christ. We become perfected more and more daily as our faith grows. The word freedom makes a number of direct and indirect appearances in the Bible. Each time there are different scenarios featuring different characters. What they all have in common is the presence of God. And so it talks about the freedom from physical slavery here. It talks about Exodus uh, when God took his people who were slaves and brought them into freedom, eventually guiding them to the promised land. And the Lord helped them out into freedom. And then there's freedom from spiritual bondage, which I want to quote here. 
as this is really key. I think this is where we're going to end right here because this is the key point of the video. Freedom from spiritual bondage, which is the most important type of freedom, in my opinion. Another usage of freedom is less physical, and more spiritual comes from the freedom granted by Jesus to those who believe. For freedom did Christ set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. And that's from Galatians. The gift Jesus grants is freedom from sin, which is freedom from death, right? Believers do not have to live their lives tied to sin and can instead call out to Jesus. Again, God's presence is required for freedom. The Bible talks about the forgiveness of sin that comes through faith and repentance. Jesus' sacrifice freed us from the destined outcome of sin, which is death. Yes, Romans 6.23. Romans is a great uh, book. We love Romans. In both direct and indirect appearances of freedom, we can ascertain that freedom comes through faith in God when we believe God's presence is so near as to be within us, guiding us away from obstacles that would otherwise weigh us down. Yes. So, good stuff here. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron, from IBelieve.com. We can conclude that freedom does come at a cost, and that was paid by Christ on the cross. In turn, we gain his reward by simply believing, turning from sin that trapped us before. Well, it's not just simply believing. I don't know. Maybe this guy's a Protestant. Anyways, uh, and leaning on God's Spirit to guide us into life of true freedom. Yeah, so freedom is key, guys. Christ is key in freedom. And as it was said there, I think he makes a great point that you can't have uh, you can't have freedom without God, too. It's not just about privacy. It's about God. And so that is why we love Christ and crypto here on the channel. Come on here. I need a haircut, obviously. Um, but that's it, guys. One hour. Ran a little bit over, but that's generally the goal with every video. About an hour of good content for you guys to chew on and uh, suckle on. So that being said, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this Sunday stream. I think it's good that we melded uh, our faith into uh, our belief that Monero is the key, the best, the shining light of crypto. And I hope that you're able to get some wisdom and insight from this. But another based week of content coming up. Be sure to tune in. We're going to talk about some based things tomorrow. And throughout the week, uh, we're going to hopefully get to those digital currency group videos. And I think I have an interview or two regarding someone from the Monero community. I don't want to out them because who knows uh, what could come before then. So I never want to be too certain in that. But God willing, we're going to have someone from the Monero community on the show on Tuesday. And then uh, we'll see what goes on the next to the week. Like there's so much going on. So I'll have more than enough to chew on and get to you guys. But uh, that being said, Monero Mateo, uh, excuse me, you can follow the social media links below. Check us out on Gap, Twitter, Odyssey especially, Telegram, and go on Podbean. Go subscribe on Podbean. It's the new podcast uh, platform that we are on, and so you can get MP3 downloads of everything that we do, which is great. And then uh, go ahead and follow us on Patreon too. I need more patrons. I need more patrons. I just got stickers. I will send you stickers. They're awesome. Monero stickers. You can give them to your family for Christmas or whatever. And then, um, you know, depending on the tier that you sign up for, you can get a certain video from me 
uh, on whatever topic of conversation you want. So if you sign up for a particular tier, make sure you get signed up for the particular tier. Um, I will make a video of your choice and we could get into a regular routine of doing that. And it's a way that I can connect with you guys and it's a way that you could support the channel, which is great. And so uh, we've got that. Also get in touch with me via email. Um, I've been advising some people on crypto and tax stuff. And so I've enjoyed doing that. I think I've helped a couple of you out, which is, uh, you know, glory to God for helping me uh, get you into the right positions and get you into, I think, valuable assets, which will play a role in freedom and privacy in this world. And so that fulfills me. That's great. Um, And then donate to the addresses below. I've got different cryptos. Maybe I have too many cryptos, but uh, yes, go ahead and Donate at those addresses below. That would be very much appreciated. I would very much like that. And with that said, guys, I will see you guys tomorrow. So, God bless. Have a beautiful day.